Welcome to the Free Life Chapel podcast, where we help you discover and live the free life in Christ. We're so glad you set aside time to join and connect with us. I know you'll be impacted by and through today's message. Now let's jump into it. We are in this series this month called Strip Club, as, as we have, as we have uh, spoken. Last week, we, we addressed the idea of shame, the concept of shame. You ever had shame in your life? Yeah, me too, me too. If you've ever battled shame or maybe some things from your past try to jump up and drag you back into it, go listen to last week's podcast again. That will hopefully encourage and help your heart. Today we're going to continue the series. Cindy and I, a while back, we had the the honor of eating at a really nice restaurant. And um, how many of you know when you eat in a nice restaurant, I mean, it's... You eat in a nice restaurant, there's usually no condiments on the table. There's no salt, there's no pepper, I ain't got no ketchup nowhere. <laughs> Can you even have a restaurant without ketchup? That's my question. I mean, they, they've, they've got zero condiments because the mindset of that, of that restaurant is when the chef finishes preparing the food, you don't need to add nothing to it. It's fine just like it is. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's almost like, yeah, have you ever had a, like a really bad steak? If you've had a bad steak, you know you can throw some Heinz 57 or A1 on it. You can fix anything. You can fix shoe leather with Heinz 57 or A1. Seal. You understand? A little ketchup here. That you, you can fix that. But, but have you ever known anybody who like ordered a prime rib and ketchup? Maybe you're in the room. I, I don't know. All, all I'm saying is this. When it's good and it's right and it's already seasoned on the table, you don't need to add anything to it. Here, here's, here's why we're going into this series. Jesus is perfect just like he is. Don't add any ketchup to Jesus is what I'm trying to tell you. Would you turn to three folk and tell him, just leave him alone. Tell him, just, just leave him alone. He's fine just like he is. Don't, don't add anything else to it. Religion and others have been adding all kinds of sauce to what we call faith. And this series is about getting everything off of it, getting right back to the raw, real deal. What does the Bible say? Not the denomination you were raised in, the certain background, the faith, I, I don't know, if you were raised Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, you're just a heathen. I don't know which one it is. Like, like I, we, we've all got a background of something that kind of has, has created a theology. We have a mindset. We all do in this room. And quite honestly, if we talk long enough, your theology probably differs from the person beside you right now. And it's important that we have a plumb line, that we have that that we come back to, that it's not me trying to battle you, you trying to battle me. No, what does God say? What does the author say about it? That's why Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, which is our signature and our opening, our opening verse for this series, Deuteronomy 4, 2 says this. Everyone read it with me. Do not add to or subtract from these commands I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you. Don't add anything to it and don't take anything away from it. It's fine. It don't need no more salt and pepper. Leave it alone. No ketchup, it's fine. 
Don't re- try to rework it. Don't try to alter it. Live it just like it is. Religion has been trying to redefine and quite honestly control salvation for about two millennia. Jesus, in, in when we, we talked about this during Easter, as he was crucified, he was, he was crucified naked. He was stripped naked on the cross. And that's how we need to approach God's word in this bare naked, stripped down approach to who Jesus is. And quite honestly, when we approach the Bible that way, this is what becomes offensive to religion is that salvation, quite honestly, is, is too easy. It's, it's just way too easy. You see, everybody's welcome. Everybody can do it. Anybody, anybody can be a Christ follower, and no one is denied access. Everybody is welcome. Would you turn to someone and tell them he's even talking to you? Would you just, just, just help them because they're, they're still stripped, or they're still stuck on that part. They're, even you, even you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever... I'm a whosoever, you're a whosoever. We all have an access point to Jesus. So we need to get back to what it is that the Bible says and not just what our denomination, not just what we've heard. What does the Bible say? How, so how do we get things so twisted? Why is this whole idea of am I right with God? Are you right with God? Are we right with God? How did it get so twisted? Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible begins to speak to this kind of, kind of directly, and, and, and here's what it says. See to it that no one, no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. If you and I are not careful, we'll let people, things, institutions, politics, religion, we'll let all of it, university classrooms, we will let it influence our mind as to what actually is truth and what is not truth. This is why it's really, really careful. You've you got to be really, really careful uh, in, 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 in the places that you go and you increase. Our, 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 our colleges today, and I think higher education is phenomenal, but never, never, never mix the idea of getting a higher education with actually hearing truth. We have to be so very careful on, 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 on how we're approaching these things. Religion has been either trying to control or kill God since the beginning of time. It's trying to hold him. It's trying to own him. It's trying to create the access point. It's trying to set up a toll road that in order to get to him, you got to go through us and pay the toll. People are trying to control that access. Cain and Abel, y'all remember those two dudes? Brothers were jacked up from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, Abel brought a sacrifice to God. Cain brought a sacrifice to God. The Bible says that Abel brought the best. Cain just brought something. Cain took God casual. Abel took God serious. And, and God told Cain, I'm not accepting your offering. And then Cain got upset and God goes, hey, yo, 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 yo. Genesis 4. Why are you so upset? It's all good. You fix it. And you and I can be in relationship. If you don't fix it, be careful. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. If you, don't, if, if you don't get it fixed, sin is crouching at the door waiting to jump on you and take advantage of you. And because Cain refused to move towards God and tried to make God come towards him, he got an attitude with Abel and went and murdered his own brother. The first murder in the Bible was over worship. It was over religion. 
It was over who has the favor of God, who has access to God, the very first one. Oh, then we fast forward to the first century. When Jesus is alive here, right, all of a sudden now you've got, you've got the, the, the religious elite mixing with, with the politics of the day, with Rome. And when religion and politics got in bed together, they decided we're going to kill Jesus, and they did. So they killed salvation off. But then what's interesting is after they killed Jesus in the first century, by the third century you come back and Rome in 380 decides that Christianity is going to now be the language of all of Rome. So they killed him 300 years ago. Now they changed their mind about him, and now he's propped up, and now it's a global religion as far as Rome is considered. It's so twisted. In 1500, the Roman Catholic Church is running the place. Rome decided this is how it works, and the church and politics, government, were all in it together. And the Roman Catholic Church monetized access to God. If you want your sins forgiven, bring an offering. The church controls your access to God. The, 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 the Pope was your passport. And the church stamped your ticket to heaven. And if you needed your sins forgiven, bring an offering. And if you had someone who passed away and they're kind of... Ah, bring an offering for them too and we'll go ahead and help them out also. It's like they controlled it all. And if you oppose the church, you were burned at the stake. Because the church is the ultimate, it may as well be God. That was the Roman Catholic Church. In 1517, there's a guy that stood up and said, no more. It's over. I'm calling you out. His name was Martin Luther. Not King Jr., but Martin Luther. He called some things out also. But Martin Luther here in, in 1517, he stands up and goes, wait a minute. This is a mess. The church doesn't control access to God. The church is not the ultimate authority. God's word is the ultimate authority. And the Bible, not the Bible, history tells us that he's posted, he took this 95 different ideas, thesis, and he nailed it to the, to the actual doorpost of the main castle church in all in, there in Germany. It was crazy how he went and he said, we're going to reform this. We're going to bring it back to what it was always meant to be. Up until that point in the 1400s, the, the, the press, the printing press was, was, was hit. Before the printing press came around, everybody had to just take and believe what they were told because they couldn't read their own Bibles. But now that the Bibles are out and people begin to open it for themselves and say, wait a minute, I know you preach that, but I see something different right here. And all of a sudden now we got a mess going on because people found out that Jesus gave all access to anybody who wanted to know him. You don't have to go through a man. You don't have to bring an offering. You don't have to go through a church. You can know him for yourself. Oh, this is good news. And Martin Luther, he wrote this and he took this stance called sola scriptura. Scripture alone is the ultimate authority to rebalance everything again, pull it back into alignment. Today I want us to talk about stripping religion off of salvation what is the raw basic elements the, the the recipe of salvation what is salvation there's a lot of ideas of what salvation is and what it's not i want to take you to bible romans chapter 10 verse 9 romans 10 9 parents if you're wanting to punish your kids this is a good one for them to memorize right here uh, i'm kidding you don't punish your kids with the bible don't do that don't do that romans 10 verse 9 look at what the bible says look at this Read it with me. One, two, three. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, justified, 
and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved, your life. There's two, two, two separate statements being made here in this passage, two big statements. The first one is this, and it lays it out so plainly. What does it mean to be saved? I'm saved. What does that mean? Number one, it's belief in Jesus as your Savior that makes you righteous. Now, righteous is an interesting word. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make you perfect. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you are not perfect? There you go. If your neighbor did not raise their hand, kick them, do something to wake them up because they're obviously sleeping right now. Righteous is, a, is, is one of these biblical words that literally means this, in right standing with. I'm, I'm, I'm in right standing. I'm, I'm in the right place. I hate to be in the wrong line. I'm in the right line. I'm in right standing. I get it. it. It's not because I deserve this. It is a gift given to me that I cannot earn, but because I see who Jesus is and I believe he died for my sins, the Savior of the world, I'm going to put my faith in him. And when I say yes to him, he says, oh, I saw that. I'm taking everything off of your life. I'm going to put it on me. And I'm taking everything on my life and I'm going to put it on you. There's an exchange and you're considered now righteous. It's the simplest thing. It is simply belief in Jesus as your Savior, that prayer, that makes you in right standing with God. Nothing else. We talked about the thief on the cross. He's dying on the cross. He's sucking air for the last moments of his life. And he got in under the, under the, under the line just, just last minute. Like he just, he, Jesus, remember me when you get to paradise. Boom, you're coming to heaven. Just like that. Lived as a hellion his entire life. And all of a sudden, boom, he's there. My grandfather, my mom's dad, didn't serve Christ all of his life. We talked to him. My mom was, was always talking to him. People around, he heard the gospel, but was always pushing back, had all kinds of vices and issues in his life. But on his deathbed, on his deathbed, he prayed, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. And my hellion grandfather split heaven wide open. I can't explain that. That doesn't make sense to me because in my eyes, people like that, they don't deserve it. But here's what I found. I don't deserve it either. Okay, turn to someone and tell them, now he's talking to you right now. Because you don't deserve it either. No salvation. It's this gift. It's just this simple belief that opens a whole new world. It changes my entire status. It is crazy. Here's what salvation means. Salvation means this. I'm reborn. That means he didn't make me good. He brought me from death back to life again. That, that's what Jesus did. And then I'm reworked. That means I've got a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel 36 actually says that he will trade your heart out where you were just hard-hearted and just this angry mess of a person. He says, I'm going to do a heart transplant inside of you. When you say yes to me, there's a metamorphosis. So you're reborn, you're reworked, then you're redeemed. Redeemed means I purchased you back. When you are purchased by somebody, you now belong to them. 
I don't belong to me. I couldn't purchase myself. He purchased me. Whatever you buy, you own. Nobody can take what it is that you purchased. And when you said yes to Jesus, come into my heart, he bought you with the price he paid on the cross. You are not your own anymore. You belong to him. And then, oh yeah, it's, it's good, but it gets gooder. You're reborn, reworked, redeemed, and then you're forgiven. That means the penalty that was on your life, the death, the, the debt penalty, it's completely removed. He wrote a check and he paid your entire debt. There is no past. There is nothing for you to run from. You owe nobody anything. That was then, this is now. Old things are gone. Everything is brand new. There's no creditors that can come after you. So when hell knocks on on your heart's door and starts trying to remind you of your past, you need to let him know Jesus wrote a check for that and fixed that. I'm living debt-free right now. That's my new reality. I can't explain it to you. It's just how good he is. So I'm reborn, reworked, redeemed, forgiven, and then I'm released. That means I've got no more bondage in my life. I'm completely set free. I don't have to stay here. I can advance in my life. And then I am reconciled. Reconciled means that I am put back into a relationship with God where it's he and I together. I am one with God. Atonement at one minute. Everything is good. It's good. It's good. It's good in the neighborhood. It's like God and I got it going on now. We are one. I'm restored. God and I are family. And the last part of salvation is now I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. The Bible says that when you say yes to Jesus, now you are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. You are written into the inheritance that everything that Jesus gets, you get. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a deal right there. Can you just take 15 seconds and give God thanks for the plan of salvation that changes all of our lives? Are you kidding me? I didn't even say, I didn't mention anything about not going to hell. I didn't even talk about going to heaven. That right there is the new reality. When you say yes to Jesus, boom, in an instant, that happens. There's a change. There's a metamorphosis. And everything I'm telling you is Bible, not opinion. That's Bible. All based on the work and the grace of Jesus. Here's what I've decided. Grace ain't fair. Aren't you glad? Because you and I could never deserve the grace of God on our life. We can never earn it. We can't live good enough. I can't write a check and do it. You can't do enough good deeds to ever deserve his grace on your part. Grace isn't fair. God is totally biased about you. And he puts favor on your life when everybody else doesn't think you deserve it and trying to take it away. He adds more and more. His mercies are new every single morning. That's the promise of God's word. This is just good news. That's why salvation is called good news. Sometimes we need to be reminded how good we actually have it. Stop checking your bank account to see if you're blessed. Let me remind you of why you're blessed. You're reborn, reworked, redeemed, forgiven, released, reconciled, blessed. I promise you you're blessed. I pro right here, right now. Yeah. Tell somebody I'm so blessed right now. Just, just tell I'm so blessed right now. There's a second part of this verse. Again, the verse states very simply, 
It is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. That's justified. And the second part says, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Living out your faith saves you, but not in eternity. That salvation is not speaking of heaven, hell. That salvation, that, the first part of the verse already handled that. You and I have a promised future in heaven because we are considered righteous. We are justified in Jesus. Salvation here has to do with keeping some hell out of your life while you're living right now. How do you know you can be going to heaven and living like hell right now? Oh, no, I'm waiting for a better response than that because I know who I'm talking to today. I love Jesus, and I said, yes, but I got some hell going on in my life right now. Well, let's talk about that. Because the Bible says here, the Bible says here in this passage, it tells us this quote, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And saved is from the chaos in this life. How do you believe God's word is God's word? Like God, this is, this is what God's will is. Okay, hands down. How do you believe God's word, therefore, is truth? So if it is truth from God, then that truth applies to my life. Whether I fully understand it or not, it is truth that will only make my life better. Having you know this word, this, this truth does not hurt you, it advances you. No, when truth is solid, it doesn't drop you, it carries you all the way through. You can build your life on truth. It's a solid foundation. It's not sinking sand. It's not waiting on one storm to rewrite it. There's not a new version of this that comes out every year to try to fix the errors in it. There are no errors in this. This book was written over a 1,500-year span, 40 different writers, but only one author. His name was the Holy Spirit, and he spoke to 40 men and put 66 books together, and that's why we have this book. It is all truth. God's Word is truth. So when you and I choose not not just to say, come into my heart, boom, salvation is done. He then also tells us, and now live this word out. Make it a part of your life. Day in and out, because you've completely surrendered your life, you don't own you. He bought you. He paid for you. He wrote the check to fix your past. He has full discretion and right to declare things over your life and expect you to respond to him. But since I know that truth is good, it's not not any direction that's going to hurt me. It's only going to advance my life. So why would I push back? Living out my faith is living out a place of victory and blessing in my life. You see, God's word is truth. It's going to keep you from family chaos. It's going to keep you from friend chaos. It's going to keep you from marriage chaos. It is going to keep you from chaos in your mind, chaos in your dating relationships. Act like you ain't had none. Act like you ain't just sit there real quiet. Act like you ain't had none. I know you're sitting beside your new boo right now, so just keep looking this way. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Like, oh, my God, of all Sundays for me to come and bring him. Oh, my God. 
God's word will keep you from some hell in your life, keep you from some headaches in your life, keep you from setbacks in your life. God's word you can build. It doesn't mean that you live scandal-free like, like nothing can come to you. No difficult times still come to us. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, keep reading. Don't stop in chapter 3, get to chapter 10. We win, keep moving, don't quit now. It's going to be all right. Trust what I told you. This is the truth of your life. Keep moving forward. We have to keep moving our faith and start living it out. I put my confidence, my trust in him. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Boom. Saved. End of the deal right there. Saved. That's all you do. Saved. And then in response to that faith, I start moving towards him with my life. I don't own me. I surrendered my life to him. And now I start moving towards him. James chapter 2, verse 17 tells us this. Speaking of moving your faith towards him to save your present life from headaches and hell and chaos. He says this. Faith by itself isn't enough. What the? Keep reading. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Well, now, wait a minute. I'm understanding Paul said, Paul said, he wrote in Romans that faith, boom, that's it. And I'm saved. Oh, that's true. That, that, that's exactly right. But wait a minute. James said faith isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, how does, that, how does that go together? If it don't fit, you must have quit. Never mind, I'll come back here. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's okay. <laughs> Only folks who are raised in a generation where you needed two keys for the same car understand that right there. <laughs> one key to get in and one key to start it. You don't even understand. You don't even understand. You don't even understand. Don't act like it. Paul is writing, this is why you can't just read the Bible, you've got to read the Bible. Paul is writing in the book of Romans. He's writing to some churches who were so legalistic, they were trying to make people earn their salvation. But James was writing to believers who were all, in fact, the church in Jerusalem, and they were trying to use their new faith as a license to sin. So the angles and the viewpoints, the direction of the writings are completely different, but they're both sharing the same thing. Paul wrote in Romans, he said, give your life to him and begin to pursue that life that will save you here and now, both eternal and while you're living here. And James says, unless you got faith that's moving, it is dead right now. But you see, what, what he's saying about faith, you and I already believe as well. You, you, you know, you believe this. You believe this. You believe that be, belief that isn't lived out is dead. You, you actually buy into that because love without affection is also yeah, and a promise without follow-through is also. And a team without action is. And a car that doesn't move is. And education without application is. And a goal without the grind is. That means belief that has no action is dead. You believe it already. Don't get offended at the Bible. Thank you, my brother. So let's strip this down. Number one, 
Speaking of salvation, what is salvation? It's faith in Jesus for my righteousness. Right standing with God. Done. And then number two, it's works that reflect that belief that I now have in him. They go hand in hand. Let me put it this way. Here's the core message. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. I'm going to say that again. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves doesn't stand alone. Faith is the root of salvation, and works are the fruit of salvation. Why 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 are works important? Why is it that it's important that I'm actually living my faith out? Like I'm making decisions based on the Bible, not my feelings. That I'm I'm chasing what God's opinion is as opposed to TikTok. What what, what does it matter that I'm doing this? Does it even matter that I do? Well, here's a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, Good works actually matter to God. Number one, it's the outward evidence that you are saved. Galatians 5 said there should be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, goodness, faith, mercy. These things should be operating in our lives. If you're lacking on any of the nine, maybe do a little checkup. Maybe you need a little lube job, oil job, all that kind of thing. But, but the evidence of God living in me is now Holy Spirit is producing fruit in my life. And people look at you and go, something changed about you. People can tell it without you ever testifying about it. They just know. So there's outward evidence when the works are there. Number two, it shows your love for God. You, when you and I are doing things to honor him and re-scripting our life to make sure it matches this word, it shows our love for God. John chapter 14 says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Look at that. If you love me, if you love me, if you love me, keep them. Don't push back on them. Well, it doesn't fit. Stop it. Keep the, if you love me. By the way, did I remind you you're not your own? Number three, when we do works that honor God, good works, it blesses others and it strengthens the church, not just free life globally. It strengthens the church. When you and I are living according to this book, our attitude, our mindset, our language, our character, all things are doing the best we can to match this. How do you know that your office environment is a whole lot better? Your work environment is a whole lot better. How do you know of somebody at work that you wish lived their life by this book? Well, someone raised their hand thinking about you just now also. So I'm just saying that we all, we all, none of us have it all together. We all are reaching and trying. And if we'll all just stop getting our eyes on others and just bring it to the house. Let me work on my heart, my mind, my attitude, my house. My, I've got enough to work on. If I can deal with me, then all of a sudden the atmosphere is elevated and people are glad to see you come. If you and somebody else are getting on the elevator and going to the 20th floor and they decide to get off and walk, it might be a quick idea that there needs to be some change in our lives. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, glorify God in it. It blesses others, it strengthens others. Number four, number four. It's important that we express it and live it because it's a witness to those who are not yet saved, the unsaved. Matthew 5 says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When people see you doing good, it attracts their heart. It touches hearts when good things are happening, and it makes God shine because we give him all the credit and thanks for our life. 
So it matters to God. And number five, number five, it decides our rewards both now and in heaven. Your good deeds do. The, the how you live your life. Matthew 25, Jesus spoke about the rewards that are going to be given, that are going to be distributed. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, don't grow weary in doing good because in due season you're going to reap like a harvest. The blessing is coming if you don't get tired and quit. Hang in there. It's important that we're not just confessing Jesus, but reflecting Jesus. When I married Cindy, we're coming up on our 29th anniversary. She's in Tennessee. Cindy is 29, May the 28th, May the 28th. I love my Puerto Rican princess. Yes, I do. When I married Cindy, I didn't just repeat my vows to her. I gave her my heart. Like, like it's all in. There wasn't a plan B. We had, a, we had a conversation early in our marriage of never do we threaten each other with the divorce. With divorce, It doesn't come up in our conversation, in our life. It's not allowed. It's illegal. That never does anybody ever. It's a, it's a curse word in our Are you kidding me? That will never. It's never at once in 29 years ever come up in a disagreement where she's been wrong and I've been right. It's never happened. That's what she gets for being on that trip today. I love you. I, don't care. I didn't just add Cindy to my life. I changed everything because I love her. I, 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 okay. When I married her, she got my heart. I put a ring on it to announce to everybody I made vows to one lady. These vows matter to me till death us do part. That's what that ring right there means. Cindy immediately became my priority. She gets the best of me. When I said yes to her and she said yes to me, she got all of my money, both dollars, and she got all of my debt. Yes, she did. When I said yes to Cindy, immediately I had to change my world. No no flirting, no dating, no reaching out, no talking, no private message to any other ladies. She is my lady. You are my lady. Hi. When I said yes to Cindy, there's no more thinking or acting single. I'm not mine. I belong to her. When I said yes to Cindy, no more clothes on the floor. When I said yes to Cindy, no more controlling the remote. I had to give it all up. When I said yes to Cindy, I've, I committed to learning more about her every day so that when we go to a restaurant, I could order for her if she's not there. I know her. I know my girl. I know that if she gets a filet mignon, she needs it butterflied, well done, don't judge me. That's exactly what her words are. I got her down. Making her smile is my goal in life. That's my, that's my focus. I, I want to see that girl smile. I want to see her heart happy. I, I want to see her excited and, and so grateful. But here's what I need you to know. She didn't have to demand those things from me. No, no. She, 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 I, I, she didn't, like, hand me a list of rules after I said I do. She didn't say, gotcha. That, that's, that's not how this goes down. 
No, quite honestly, I did them in response to my love for her. All I did was make vows to her, but in the vows, it did not include everything that was going to be a part of marriage in the sense of, I'll do this, I'll run this, I'll take the trash out, I'm going to do this, I'm going to give, have grace on you in these days, I'm going to do it. It had nothing to do with it. It was just, I do. But with the I do, the I do came loaded with so much other stuff. And quite honestly, I did, I did those things in response to my love for her, not because she required it, but those actions that I take, that I do my best at, I'm not the best, I'm working on it always, but every step I take towards moving towards her, it keeps me focused on my marriage so that other distractions are not able to get into my head. What you focus on masters your life, and because I focus on my wife, I've got these wonderful distractions of stuff and things and people and them can all walk by and I'm so focused on her it doesn't have any ability to get into my heart and quite honestly by living those things it kept her from killing me it's been so good in so many ways it's relationship you see here's here's what I want to bring it to and I'm done with this healthy relationships are not held together by rules it's not how it works it's not how it works if you have to set curfew rules for your wife, we have problems. If you have to demand that they come home after three days, we have problems. If you have, if you have, okay, here's the rules. Here we go. Again, it's been 10 years, but no more cheating. If we're in that situation, if we have rules of no abuse is allowed in this house, no more lying. After 20 years, we've decided no more. If we're, if we're still trying to make rules, those are not healthy relationships. Healthy relationships don't think in terms of rules. Healthy relationships think in terms of safeguards, protection, these things that when they're in place, they bless. Boundaries are a blessing when love is involved not a burden they're blessings not legalism they are liberating and this my friend is what it means to give your life to Jesus when you lean into him and say take me take all of me the sin the mess my past reputation bad ideas thoughts mess ups hang ups addictions take it if you will he says I've been waiting on you I love you with a love you don't understand he rushes in and he trades status with me I get his righteousness, he takes my sin. I'm completely in right standing with God. The entire list I read for you, all of that hits my life. My heart is in transformation mode. And now that I said yes, and I'm in right standing, that alone gets me to heaven. But then how I walk out that faith determines if it's going to be a growing, healthy relationship that doesn't just move me to him, it keeps me from straying away from him. And it keeps me locked in so that I don't live in hell every day while I'm on the way to heaven I've got some joy right here where I am I've got some love and some blessing and some increase and some advance it's heaven there but it's heaven here God's word does not hurt you limit you hold you down or steal anything from you it only invests in your life and when we submit it all to him everything I am Every part of me, my ideas, my convictions, my feelings, it all is in submission to this word. And if my feelings don't line up with his commands, then one of the two's got to win. Well, 
I just, I don't like it. I, he didn't ask if you liked it. He said, this will give you life. Your feelings will lead you down a road off the cliff. This will give you life. Do it my way. Ladies and gentlemen, either this is truth or it's not. It's either above our thought process or it is not. It's either divine, holy, and life-giving or it's not. And if I'll believe in it for salvation, why would I not believe in it for blessing in my life as well? Every area. I'm not saying it's easy. And growing in your faith is a process over time. No one hits it and is genius. It's like golf. It'll never be mastered. Why they call it the master's tournament, I will never know. It'll never be mastered. But we keep moving day in and day out. We keep taking a step today and a step tomorrow. Come on and stand to your feet if you would. If I'm going to strip salvation all the way down and get religiosity off it and get people that are angry about it off, and if I'm just going to just move everything, here's what it boils down to. Your faith in God, you're on your way to heaven. Boom. Salvation is there. And your lifestyle then will be a reflection of that heart change that Jesus did. Not because that is required to be saved, but because it's a response to a true conversion. It's not just confession, it's conversion. I'm leaving my past. Repentance means this, to be walking this way, to stop, completely turn around, and go the opposite way. That's what repentance means. I'm changing directions. Maybe this is new for your thinking. Maybe you've never heard salvation in stark terms that makes you look at, dang dog, am I saved? As long as you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and to forgive you, yes, you're splitting heaven wide open. But now there is a response if we're going to have a healthy relationship that's going to grow and flourish. And you're going to have the promises of God in your life and stay away from the edge of the cliff then we're going to walk out this word, and that's why free life is here to help you do it. I need free life. You need free life. We all need free life because it helps move us forward, helping others to discover and live the free life in Christ. I want us to pray today. If you'd bow your heads all through this room, if you say, Scott, I don't know Jesus is my Savior, but, man, today I need to do it. If you're saying all I've got to do is put my faith in him, I believe that he died on a cross for my sins. He took my place. And I'm saying yes to that sacrifice. I want that in my life. Then if you receive him and pray this prayer, you will be saved just as much as I am. There's no degrees on salvation. It's either you are or you are not. And that's just based on your trust and your faith in him. So today, we're going to pray a prayer. And if you're praying this prayer for the first time, that's wonderful. If you're praying it because, man, I've been through some things, I just want to refresh that, that's a beautiful thing also. Because Christians have a lifestyle of repentance, not just a one time. We live with this day in, day out to keep repairing that relationship. So let's all pray this. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me for all my sins. I believe I am saved in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it. Can you just give him thanks that just, man, when I'm praying that from my heart, immediately that whole list, reborn, reconciled, it all is kicking in right now. That is the promise of heaven. If you just prayed that prayer, you're going to heaven just as much, just as assured as I am, just as assured as anybody else in this room is. Now there's the next step we need to take towards him, committing our lives of following him. 
I want to be a Christ follower. Not just one who says, I can check the box, yes, I'm a Christian. No, I, I want to know him. I want to experience him. Ladies and gentlemen, if he did all that and he purchased me, he owns me, then I don't belong to myself. That means he gets to tell me where to go, what to do, how to do it, when to do it, when not to do it. He controls my life. That is where lordship kicks in. And today we're going to pray a prayer. You pray it in your heart as I pray it in mine. And let's declare that together. Jesus, we declare that you are the answer and the source of all of life. And the word of God is the only answer to move us forward, to advance our world. I pray today for your increased conviction in our life when we're doing things outside your plan, your will. That, Lord, we would fill the pole of heaven to come back on course, to get back on track so that we will not live a life of chaos, of pain, of hurt, of burdens. Jesus, you went through too much in dying for us, for us to live a life that is tore up while we're on the way to heaven. But I pray today that you would let, let a love affair kick in between us and you, that we re-script our lives like a marriage, that we move in and everything now changes in order to make you the center and the focus of who we are. We love you. We honor you. Thank you for your word that guides us and protects us and blesses and advances our life. I pray for all my friends in this room and those watching online. And I declare together that we are upping our game and coming after you with everything we know how. We're going to be in church whenever we can. We're going to open your word. We, we're going to talk to you a couple of minutes a day. Just start that relationship. We're getting the right voices, new fellowship in our life, new people in our life that are also Christ-loving. We're coming after you, worshiping. We're going to rescript our lives so that we live the full experience of what salvation is, both in eternity and in time. We love you and thank you for this reality today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, we invite you to connect with us by following us on our social media platforms or through our website at freelifechapel.org. Thank you for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.